the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, another show. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything that's on your heart. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be uh, hands-free. Let's see what we've got here. We've already got a caller on the line, so let's go to Ron from San Antonio on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you, Ron. Good. You're great. Always good to hear from you. I um, uh, I have one of my colleagues at work, a very close um, associate in the Word of God, and he's a pretty much a Southern Baptist. Um, I was talking about. Um, uh, I wasn't too certain about lordship salvation. Greg, uh, the late name Mister Laurie came up. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not certain. I wanted to, I don't, I, I just hope this is not, I don't believe it'll be awkward, you know, because you've always went straight to the truth and, and been so sincere and straight from the heart and mm-hmm. such a man of God you are. Truly, I knew that I just had to reach out to you. I didn't know exactly what to think. I just know that on the surface, he he's, he speaks uh, the gospel I understand that this there's something called lordship salvation. I'd never heard of it before. I know that there, we've been told that there would be false prophets, false teachers, and that he's adding um, when you add the element of repentance to uh, the gift of salvation, insofar that the salvation is a free gift and that it's, it's not earned and there's nothing. Uh, it, it's it's given. According to what I've read, um, I'm just—I can't say I'm confused, but I'm not certain as far as Mr. Laurie's approach. Um, this concept called lordship salvation—you know, just see—I know that God knows a contrite heart, mm-hmm. a sincere heart, and I'll never know all that there is to know. Obviously, um, I just know that I love Christ. I, the gift of salvation through grace and mercy and, and the cross <laughs> and how He came into the world and why He came and it's all it makes more sense every year. But I understand the essential elements of, of our salvation, which are so simple, and I think the, the world can can really muddle it and, and murk it up. But as far as uh, is there, uh, I, I keep hearing that repentance. Is, is 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 a work, and that um, 
he said that repentance is going down a road, doing a three six, doing a one eighty, going the other way. And while that is a very noble task and a deed mm-hmm. to to repent of your sins, and I can understand that you want to repent. I mean, on the surface, you want to get over what you have done wholeheartedly with with sincerity. But I understand that that even that concept adds to the to the gift of of forgiveness and, and grace and adds an extra element which causes that to be a false teaching. So um, I, I just needed to hear from you, Pastor Ron. I, I can deal um, with that, Ron. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll do that. And um, uh, I know Greg Laurie well. Uh, he has uh, been a Calvary guy for 40 years or more and um, is a gifted evangelist and um, has been used by the Lord to, to lead multiplied thousands of people uh, to Jesus. Um, I, I think we've got two separate issues here, and so let me talk about them separately. Lordship salvation is a concept that was really introduced into the mainstream by John MacArthur. Um, uh, gosh, I'm 20 years ago or more now, um, uh, with his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. It is available. Uh, you can get it uh, readily. Uh, and um, uh, John MacArthur, although he is a Calvinist, is pretty solid. Um, and and uh, he really turned uh, a lot of people's thinking upside down with that book, Lordship Salvation. Uh, Lordship Salvation, from his perspective, as he, as he demonstrated in his book, uh, it's simply, if Jesus isn't your Lord, he cannot be your Savior. In other words, coming to Jesus, and I'll get to the repentance part in a moment, coming to Jesus requires us to come to him on his terms. Repentance, if you just think of repentance as I'm, I'm living my life running away from God, when we meet Jesus, we are picked up and turned around and we're now living our life running after God. And that's what repentance is. It, it's just a U-turn in life. In Texas, Ron, we've got all of these uh, uh, turnarounds. Uh, if you miss your 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 exit, you can go to the next one and just take a turnaround and get right back on the freeway going in the right direction again. That's what repentance is. And so um, um, MacArthur's position in the book, Lordship, Salvation, or the Gospel According to Jesus, was that if you're not chasing after Jesus, then you can say he's your Savior, but there's no evidence that you're saved. Now, John MacArthur makes everything sound a little bit harsher and more legalistic than it needs to be, but I think this whole idea of Lordship Salvation, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he becomes your Lord. You can't come to Jesus and say, I I want the salvation part, but I don't want the lordship part. And that's what John MacArthur was representing. And that would also be Greg Laurie's position on this issue as well. So lordship salvation is simply uh, helps us identify the emotional conversion. Uh, Somebody says, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus and and, and, uh, uh, I believe he died for my sins. But you see, when you meet Jesus, Ron, you change. Meeting Jesus changes you. Think of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Uh, he met Jesus, and, and his first question when he saw him was, Who are you, Lord? That's Lordship Salvation. When I got saved, Ron, 30 years ago, uh, I, I mean, I, I wasn't raised in church, so I knew almost nothing about the Lord. I certainly didn't know anything at all about the Bible. But I knew two things. When I got up off that street, that I, 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 I was running away from home, I fell down. I knew two things. I knew that I'd met Jesus and, and, and I was going to heaven. I couldn't understand why anybody would want me in heaven, but I knew I'd met him. The second thing I knew for sure was that if he had the authority to forgive my sins, then he now was in charge of my life for the rest of my life. I was not going to work for anybody but him. I knew those two things instinctively. Now, that required repentance. The response to meeting Jesus is repentance, turning around in life. And we have to remember this, and I think this is the easiest way to say it. We have to remember that repentance is the first word of the gospel. John the Baptist, from the beginning, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus spoke about repentance. So repentance is just a change in life. It's not a work. 
It's simply we come to Jesus, we come to him on his terms, and we believe in his lordship over our lives. We can't, again, we can't come to Jesus, Ron, and and say, okay, I believe you're the son of God, so that settles it, that fixes it. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, Romans 10 says, that means he's got to be in charge. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We can't come to him to impose our will on him. We meet him, and he imposes his will on us. That's what happens upon conversion run when the Holy Spirit comes to live within. So uh, Greg Laurie is is quite orthodox. Uh, his messages are more evangelistic than anything else, and I've never heard even a hint of legalism or adding to the gospel or preaching another gospel um, uh, not a hint of any of that in any of his messages and I've known Greg for uh, nearly the entire 30 years that I've been saved so uh, I think you can listen to Greg Laurie's messages and uh, and, and be absolutely confident that they are uh, orthodox in theology and you're getting a true picture of the gospel of grace so repentance not a work Repentance is what happens when we meet Jesus. What we were chasing, we're no longer chasing. Now we're chasing him. Thank you, Ron. That was a great question. And uh, again, Greg Laurie is is somebody that is dependable uh, and faithful for you to listen to. Thank you. Let's take an anonymous call on line two. Thanks for being patient and holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, just a Hi. little bit of encouragement. I was uh, at work at a new job, and uh, this is more for for Christians and non-Christians listening, but it's for both. And that's the fact that uh, everybody will watch you, and you know the it, it's like the the non-Christians want to catch you messing up, and I understand that, uh, having been a non-Christian at one point in my life, but. Uh, <laughs> It was kind of strange. I don't recall telling uh, this co-worker that I was a Christian or anything that even sounded like it, but they watch you, and out of the blue, he asked me uh, where I go to church, and he, he really wanted to go, and then he said his fiance wouldn't go that far, and I said, okay, well, here's another one. And I said, if you really want to know about this type of church, here's the biggest one in San Antonio. I said, it's not huge, it, it's uh, just a little little church that I had gone to, and I loved, and do love. But anyway, long story short, he watched me, and I guess it, it, that, that encouraged me that apparently sure. I did something. But uh, it also, you know, it's to, you know, we got to watch what we do, but it's kind of strange because I wasn't trying to, you know, act certain way. I was just being me. But uh, anyway, if you can also pass on something to people in your church, uh, let Jory and Gary know that I'm praying for them. Okay. And I'll, I'll let you go. I'll do it. Thank you. Appreciate it, Anonymous. Um, very, very thoughtful. Uh, you know, one of the things as Christians that we get used to is that people are always watching us. Now, usually they're watching us to see us mess up so they can say, oh, you Christians are hypocrites. But they're watching us because they see hope. They're living lives without hope. They're just doing the best they can. And I always say doing the best we can is never very good. And so they're always watching us. And it's always a wonderful encouragement when when somebody who's been watching your life says, you know, you've got something I need. And that's exactly what the caller was talking about. So I think it's something that's very, very important. And we will pass along your love and your prayers for Jory and Gary. Uh, Gary's doing really, really well. Um, God bless him. And it just has been thrilling to watch. And Jory um, is is being treated uh, for his cancer. Um, we've been praying that he would have uh, no negative side effects. And that's been happening. Uh, so we just keep praying for, for God to touch him, to heal him, to use the medicine to accomplish the healing. Thank you, Anonymous, for the call. It's always good to hear from you. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Kelly in our from our email inbox. Uh, I would like to get the background meaning and reason why the name Jesus was chosen for Jesus. Uh, I heard it was a common Jewish name. Is that correct? Uh, Kelly, it was a very common name. Um, um, you, you'll see a reference to Jesus uh, who is all who is called justice after Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection? There were a whole bunch of Jesuses who got saved, and they didn't feel worthy to carry the name Jesus, so they would change their name. Well, we say call it a nickname or a, an also known as name, and um, uh, it was just a very very common name. Uh, now the reason he was called Jesus, uh, Gabriel appears to to uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus' stepfather. And he said, um, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you are to give him the name Jesus. It's Yeshua. Uh, Joshua is the, the, the Hebrew alliterative. alliterative and uh, it means Yahweh is salvation. Uh, and, and it was chosen it's because he will save the people from their sins. So the name had a very specific meaning. The name had a mission, and uh, um, that's what his name was. And it came straight from heaven via the messenger, the archangel Gabriel. So, Kelly, thank you for that question. Lots of very common names. You know, we have Johns and and uh, uh, Daves and Bobs. And, uh, well, in, in um, the, the Hebrew ancient world in particular, there was lots of Joshua's and lots of of names of people who were um, very, very common. You'll see them in the genealogies over and over and over. Some names are repeated. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it. 340-9585. Walt says, Pastor Ron, can I have your opinion about whether or not politics should be in the pulpit? Um, uh, Walt, my answer, of course, is no. Uh, the pulpit is where the Word of God is taught. Now, that does not mean that as we teach through the Bible um, um, that, that we can't speak on social issues. We can, and I believe that we ought to, but only as they apply um, um, with the text that we're teaching. Um, one of the b- beautiful things, Walt, about teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is I've got the outline that I'm working with uh, given to me by the scriptures, and I I don't have to worry about, well, am I going to talk about social justice today? Am I going to talk about uh, family? Am I going to talk about marriage? I just teach the Bible. And there are lots of opportunities for me to talk about um, social, some that could be called political issues, uh, abortion being one of them, uh, but th- but there's a lot of them. So um, I think the church that has been turned over uh, to uh, politics is a church that's lost its way. Uh, politics sell our crowds in uh, in mainstream Christian churches, and by that I mean um, those of us with Orthodox Christian beliefs. Uh, and I don't mean the Orthodox faith, but but Orthodox is in as in standard Christian beliefs, um, there is a large percentage of people who would be conservative uh, by persuasion. Um, but, but, but we need to hear about Jesus. And so uh, I've got some friends who have lost their way in this battle, and everything becomes about politics. I'll give you an example of something that was just horrible, Walt. Um, uh, after the election, um, the, the the atmosphere in those churches because their candidate lost. Uh, it's it's almost like hopelessness and and they're angry, and that's not good fruit of the spirit. Uh, our our message is to preach Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Our message is to go through the Bible and teach people how to live godly lives in this present age. Uh, it's Paul writing. To Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation is pure to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live upright, self-controlled lives in this present age. People need to learn how to do that. And the only way they can do that is to be 
intentionally committed to, I want to please Jesus. You've got to find out who he is. And our job as pastors, Bible teachers, is to make sure that the people that we know, the people that we care about, the people that God has entrusted to us, uh, that we're teaching them how to live those lives for God's glory and for his pleasure. And you don't do that talking about worldly things like politics. I think too often, Walt, we've got our kingdoms mixed up. Um, politics is about the kingdoms of this world. Um, ours is the kingdom of God, and we're supposed to be advancing his kingdom and not the political kingdom. Now, I tell people all the time, yes, it's our responsibility to vote. We ought to participate in the political process. Uh, we have the rights to do that here in this country. Uh, but as far as me telling them how to vote or or even strongly implying that this is the way they ought to vote, uh, ought to vote really is a lack of faith in Christ. You know, if I present Jesus Christ and I teach about who he is, his character, his nature, um, and, and if I really believe that, that the Holy Spirit is going to work in people's hearts and and make us more and more like Jesus every day, then I don't have to worry about that. That's not my job. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to help people be lights in this dark world that we live in. And uh, the only way you can do that is the Bible. And I say it this way in our church all the time, Walt. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Nothing else matters. Every good thing that's happened in our church in 30 years, 26 years actually, every good thing has been a result of the Bible being taught verse by verse. So thank you for the question. Let's go to Ray holding on line one. Ray, thanks for your patience. You are on the air. Well, thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, I liked your analogy on the uh, repentance and the turnaround, because we have a lot of turnarounds in this town. (laughs) Boy, don't we. uh, and, And going just slightly farther down the road, Sometimes we get off the track or out of our lane, and we have to take a turnaround. But there aren't that many, uh, I'll call it a roundabout uh, here. I know of one at least, um, <clears throat> you know, where, where several streets uh, run into a thing, and, and, they, and they have a circle where you can go in and out. They're more prevalent in, in Europe, I know. Um, but I was wondering if there's any any uh, thought uh, that possibly those uh, circular ones, instead of just being a simple turnaround going going the right way after being down the wrong path, um, sometimes it's hard to get off on the right <laughs> exit out of that circle sometimes. And, and I wonder if that isn't another ploy of our enemy and the spiritual thing that got into, you know, how he directs us around or tries to. And I don't know if that's worth commenting on or not, but uh, I'll, I'll see if you have anything to add to that or. Thank, thank you, Ray. I do. Thank you, Ray. I do. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I snickered because you said what if the enemy has any any value or any any part of of that that those circles you know there's a lot of christian lives running around in circles you know jesus has a lot of streets named after him in san antonio one way and the thing that we've got to remember is that jesus is an absolute dictator a benevolent loving perfect dictator but a dictator nonetheless jesus doesn't give suggestions jesus tells us how to walk how to walk. There was a great line in the movie, uh, the movie Stripes, many, many years ago when uh, Bill Murray and, and his friend went to boot camp and they were teaching watching, hey, we're marching. Well, Jesus teaches us to march, to march with him, to follow him. And as long as we're following Jesus, then we're going to be okay. Uh, our problem is that we want to follow Jesus and not um, um, be too far removed from the things of this world that bring our flesh pleasure. And this whole idea of repentance, Ray, is so important. We think we can come to Jesus. We can come to him and we, okay, I'm so sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Everything is okay now, right? 
But it, but it's not all right unless you've met him and it's changed your life. We've got to change our lives. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this isn't a work, but it demonstrates that we really met Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And, and he says, you know, our job as Christians is to scatter seed, the seed, the word of God. And, and as we scatter that seed, it's going to land on all kinds of hearts. Our job is not to determine what heart it falls on. Our job is simply to keep throwing it. And some people receive it at once with joy, but the cares and the worries of this world choke it out, make it unfruitful. Uh, some receive it, and there's, it looks like there's a little tiny, tiny plant that's growing, but because there's no real depth of the soil, the sun scorches it and destroys it. Um, uh, we've got to decide that the real believer is the one that produces fruit for the kingdom of God. And while I'm a big grace guy, and this is for Ron, who called earlier as well. I'm a big grace guy. I love nothing in this life more than I love the grace of God. But we've got to understand and be realistic. The man or the woman who says they've met Jesus, but there's no change in their life. That man or woman hasn't really met Jesus. They know about him, but they haven't met him and don't know him. Thank you, Ray. We will be back on the other side of the break, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've got a call or holding. We'll get at the top of the break. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. Let's go to line two for an anonymous caller. Thank you for your patience in holding over the break. You are on the air. No problem. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, I was wondering, how can how can John MacArthur be have his radio broadcast grace to you when <laughs> Calvinism itself seems like it's full of condemnation? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because every time I listen, and John MacArthur seems to be on the radio every time I turn it on. So. Um, um, you know, Calvinists have a completely different view of grace. You and I understand grace, Anonymous, as God's unmerited favor. And I always add to the infinitely ill-deserving, because I love God's grace. When you talk to a Calvinist about grace, there's always the word sovereign in front of it. And, and there's no grace in sovereign grace as represented by Calvinists. Uh, their idea of grace is God chooses who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. So um, uh, John MacArthur uh, has been faithful. John MacArthur is a, a, a brilliant man, a great theologian. Uh, John MacArthur has served the Lord faithfully now for more than 50 years. Um, and uh, John MacArthur is... Um, um, really solid, except this one issue, uh, his Calvinist theology. Uh, and and if you would listen to John MacArthur teach about anything uh, other than Calvinism, uh, election or predestination, um, then, then it's going to be really, really solid. The problem is he sounds angry all the time. And that's not just because he's getting older. It's just John, he sounds angry. And that's what the Calvinistic message does. It, it it hardens the heart. I have said many, many times, and I'm always going to I'm going to offend some of our Calvinist listeners here. But I always tell our church, if you want to stop a move of God's Spirit, then the enemy brings the Calvinist to church. And um, you know, there's just no love, no compassion. Uh, this is just the way it is. And and I think Calvinism Anonymous is. Uh, just uh, people trying to find easy answers to complicated questions. Well, you can't question God. He chooses some for this and some for that. And uh, they view everything. Um, their systematic theology views everything through a Calvinist lens instead of letting that systematic theology be formed by what the Bible actually says. So uh, I'm with you 
on John MacArthur. Uh, I've learned a lot over the years uh, from John MacArthur. I mentioned his book, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus. I think it's really instructive. I think it's a, a book that explains the position of the Lordship of Jesus Christ really well. Um, and and I, I think I think the, the Easy Grace guys have just sort of eliminated um, Jesus as Lord uh, because we 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 don't want to make it appear that we're adding works. And I just think the balance the balance is always the place. So anonymous, thank you for the call. I appreciate it, and thank you for holding. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. Hey, I'm not going to talk about Sweet Summer Devotional until Thursday, but I <laughs> okay. will tell you that, that it was awesome, of course, uh, and I, I was so engrossed that I drove like 10 miles out of the way, not knowing when I was on my way to where I was supposed to go because I was paying so much attention. But anyway, uh, it was great. So I would love if you – wait a minute. Love – okay, I'm not talking Dairy Queen love or pancake love, um, <laughs> but if you <laughs> – I do love pancakes. Yeah, I know you do. Is, is that going to be featured menu? Is that going to be a feature on our menu? Are we going to have pancakes at the restaurant? I, I can promise you pancakes will make their appearance daily. Daily. Oh, we are so there. Okay. <laughs> so I, I know we're, we're get coming up on uh, number two of Daniel tomorrow, but I wondered if you would talk more about you know God's attribute of, of holiness and how how uh, all his attributes like emanate from holiness and what you said, if we're going to be usable by, by God in, in, in these last days that we've got to resolve to, to, to in our hearts to, to pursue personal holiness. And I'll get off the line and let you go for it. Love you, Pastor. Thank you, Bye-bye. Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you. You know, um, this is what I was talking about a moment ago with, with Lordship Salvation. Um, we've lost the sense of, of God's holiness in our church culture because we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We don't want to ask them to repent of their sins. And the reason we don't want to do any of that is because, well, we want more people in the church. And we have made a mockery of the holiness of God. And our New Testament says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, make no mistake, it's an imputed or a borrowed holiness, a borrowed righteousness But when you meet Jesus, everything has to change. You were going one way following the world. You meet Jesus, he turns you around. You keep moving, but but this time you're following him. And that's because God is holy. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, Jeff, when Isaiah has the vision of of, uh, the throne of God, and by the way, we're told in John chapter 12, I think it's verse 23, that Isaiah saw Jesus. People say, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. God and holy is a big deal, but Jesus is different. John saw, or I mean, Isaiah saw Jesus. And around the throne, the cherub were claiming holy, 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 over and over and over. They weren't saying love, 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 or grace, 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 or power, power, power. They were saying holy. And without holiness... None of the other attributes of God or characteristics of God have any value at all. And and you said, you used the word emanate. Everything good about God emanates from his holiness. If God isn't holy, we're all lost because there is no God. And um, because we have lost the focus on God's holiness, we're so afraid of challenging people or making them uncomfortable. And Jeff, you come here so you know that that uh, I have no problem being direct. Uh, I want people to appreciate God's grace more than anything. At the same time, it's impossible to appreciate God's grace if you don't have a grasp on the holiness, the, 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 the overwhelming holiness of God. No one can see the Lord and live because His holiness would blow us apart. And we've just lost that sense of direction. We've lost that sense of of um, I, I want to be like Jesus, and we've we've frankly, um, well, we've tried to create Jesus in our image, instead of remembering that we've been created in His image. 
So, Jeff, I, I agree. Thank you very much for the direction there. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been watching the Olympics, and I was thinking <laughs> of about a couple things. Um, when Paul talks about running the race and running it, you know, like the Olympians do, and, you know, how that correlates in, in our in our daily walk with the Lord, I, I feel like I stumble a lot, you know, and there's these hurdles, and I'm getting my feet are getting tangled up in the hurdles, you know, quite often. <laughs> but anyways, what I was really thinking about was uh, the Olympics being in Tokyo, and when it's daytime here, it's nighttime there. So when the rapture happens, it's going to happen all everywhere all at once. There are going to be a whole lot of people that are maybe on the other side of the world or this side of the world that they're going to be sleeping because it's going to be nighttime, and they're just going to wake up in heaven. And and I just thought that was really kind of cool, the way half the people are going to be awake doing their thing, and the other half of the world is, mm-hmm. is going to be at least those of us who believe in Jesus and, and, and he's our Savior. So that's just what I was thinking about, and I'll get off the phone and let you chat about it. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Bye-bye. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready for my post-Olympics depression. Um, Paul and I really enjoy watching the Olympics, and it's like when the Olympics are done. It's like, well, what do we do now? You know, so we're watching it. You know, Cindy, I'm, I, I think the best thing watching the Olympics and somebody's just about to get to maybe that steeple chase jump, the water jump, or maybe somebody is getting ready to pole vault and they're in the air and the rapture happens and they're gone. That I, I'd love on this worldwide stage to have the, the rapture happen while we're watching the Olympics today. Um, but but um, you're right. It, it, God lives outside of time and space, and when it happens, it's going to happen to everybody at the same time, and that could be at any moment. And I think we need a recalibration, you know, like your GPS when you miss a turn or something. Recalibrating, we need a, a, a recalibration because Jesus could be coming any moment. And we need to be ready, and the only way to be ready is to to be serving him. And and um, you know, it's okay to sit down and watch the Olympics, but um, you know, our lives should be lived for him. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate. It. Always always enjoy hearing what you're thinking. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Sandy. I think it's a she. She says, what is the real purpose of our lives once we find Jesus? Um, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says that our lives are to be lived, and this is a literal translation in Greek, our lives are to be lived toward him. Toward him. In other words, we were created to please him. Sandy, we were created to put a smile on his face, to love him. And we do that by, by first accepting his love for us. And I, I think once we meet Jesus, everything should be sort of instantly recalibrated. Going back to the, that, that use of that word, uh, I, was, I was living to please me. I was living to please my wife. I was living to please uh, my, my boss or whatever it is. But now, once we meet Jesus, the only purpose of our life is to serve him and be pleasing to him. And if we get that, then our lives will be rich and full and satisfying. And and the only time that that changes is when we let other things get in the way. When we find other things that bring us more pleasure or things that distract us and throw us off uh, the grid just a little bit, then our lives get cluttered and complicated and ugly. But if you're following Jesus with your whole heart, that he makes your life rich and full. And there is no other purpose of our lives. We're worshipers, and we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. doesn't mean in music, although music is a great way to, to, to worship God emotionally and, and, and uh, audibly. But the real worship, the truth comes in when we're surrendering our lives to him. 
And Sandy, there is no other reason that any of us have been given life in this world. Uh, our job is to please Jesus every day. We should report um, for orders. Every day we should surrender our lives to him. That doesn't mean that we're not going to do the things that we do. If you've got a job, we've got to be a good employee. We're going to serve God in our job. Um, that's pleasing to him. Um, if you've got kids, you're going to raise your kids, but you're going to raise them for Jesus' glory. You're going to raise them to know who he is. So everything, and, and people think this is so narrow in scope. Well, don't we ever get to have any fun? Sandy, my life is more fun than I can handle at my age. So the only purpose of our lives, and there's nothing even a close second. I love Paula. Uh, I love my job here at Calvary Chapel, my, my calling. I love all of that. But if I focus on my only job is to please him, Jesus, then Paula's going to benefit. My church is going to benefit. The people that I encounter in the streets are going to benefit. That's the real purpose of our lives. Nothing else. We can do a lot of good things. We can help a lot of people. But if we're not doing it for his glory alone, then we are not going to be living fulfilled and rich lives. Here is a question from Kelly. Different spelling, so it's not the one who called earlier, who wrote the question in earlier. Um, Pastor, on more churches are doing things online. Is online baptism acceptable? Um, Kelly, I'm... Never thought of online baptism. Uh, what are you going to do? Get in the tub and dunk yourself? Or uh, no, I I don't know. I, I'm not happy. I don't think it's healthy that more churches are doing things online. I think having an online presence in this day and age is absolutely vital. But remember, most of the time we're reaching the lost, people that are unsaved online, or we're reaching people who can't get here and have legitimate reasons for not being here. But church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. And so the church needs to be the place that you go as a part of the church. Now, you are the body of Christ, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and each one has its part in the body. Uh, church is where you go to serve, to use your spiritual gifts. Church is where you go to put others' needs ahead of your own. You don't go to church to see if the church meets your needs. You go to church and say, well, Lord, how can I meet the needs of the church? How can I meet the needs of other people in this church, some who are hurting? So with regard to online baptism, um, you know, it's a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. As such, I guess online baptism could be acceptable. But, Kelly, you'd be missing out so badly, you'd be missing out on the joy that that is experienced when people are getting baptized. It gives me an opportunity to share again. We, on this Sunday, at approximately 3 or 3.30, as soon as we can get out there after third service, we're having our summer baptism event uh, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. A bunch of people will get baptized. There'll be a lot of food, a lot of fellowship. It's just a wonderful day to be with the body of Christ as people are making those public professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, they're doing a whole lot of funerals this coming Sunday. The death of the old person and a celebration of the new resurrected life in Christ. Uh, Kelly, if you need to get baptized, you need to do it with your church family. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Wanda. She says, my church doesn't teach about the Holy Spirit. I think churches should teach more on him. One, I couldn't agree more. I had a pastor's meeting here at church this past Saturday, and I had a similar question. Uh, pastor's conferences, uh, could we hear more, be taught more about the Holy Spirit? And while it was a little surprising come from pastors, um, uh, I said to him what I'll say to you, I think a lot of churches are afraid about teaching of the Holy Spirit. And the reason and please don't misunderstand my logic here, the Holy Spirit has a first name. It's holy. And again, when we talk, start talking about holiness, you know, we talk about gifts, we talk about uh, emotional experiences, getting goosebumps, all that's fine. But, but there is no power of the Holy Spirit in anybody's life if we're not pursuing personal holiness. 
So um, um, I think churches should teach more in the Holy Spirit as well. I think we should teach about all of the things that that influence the ability of the Holy Spirit to, to, to demonstrate power in and through our lives. I think that we so often quench the work the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I say that because I think we're afraid to ask him. I think if you said to him, uh, Wanda, with with the purest of hearts, if you said, Lord, show me why there's no power of your spirit in my life, he'd show you the sin in your heart. He'd show you the things that maybe are misplaced in terms of priority in your life. And believe me, Jesus wants the Holy Spirit to be poured out in power, not only upon us, but through us to others. And uh, teaching the Holy Spirit would, would, would help people understand who he is and what he's come to do. And we like to focus on the spectacular gifts and the miraculous. Uh, and while there is an element of that in a, in, in a balanced teaching about the Holy Spirit, that's not really the Holy Spirit's purpose. His purpose is to, to, to testify about Jesus. I say just be with Jesus all the time. You can't do that without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You don't even want to do that without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't resist sin and temptation in your own strength because, frankly, we don't want to resist. We want to give in. But when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you want to please Him. So I agree with you. I think churches teach more on the Holy Spirit as well. I thank you for referring to him as a him rather than an it. Um, but I would have a conversation with my pastor, Wanda. Why don't you teach more about the Holy Spirit? One thing I will say, again, I made reference to this in the first half of the program. One of the benefits of teaching through the Bible, as we do here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, is that I don't ever get to avoid anything if you're teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you're going you're gonna to teach about everything that's contained in the Bible. And, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is not a supporting player. He is front and center throughout our New Testaments. And uh, I obviously get to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and his power and his purpose for our lives and uh, how important it is to surrender to him rather than to try to resist the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Dale says, um, what is the model of church that God approves of the most? Now, Dale, I don't know if you mean church government or or just the way we do church. Um, uh, all you have to do is go to Acts chapter 2, the model of church. What should a church look like? Go to Acts chapter 2. And beginning in verse 42, uh, read the rest of the chapter, and that's the model uh, that God has given us for doing church. This is not rocket science. We don't have to invent or reinvent the wheel. God told us in the first church, he said, this is what the church does. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread. They were devoted, most importantly, to the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to prayer. And because of those things, uh, and, and I would add worship, unlike, I mean, it, they didn't worship the way we worship culturally. But, but the idea is that's what a church is there to do. And if we're devoted to, and it's a very strong word in Greek, it means cling to, and I always use the picture of Velcro. Uh, we need to be so stuck on those things that... Um, we're just not going to let them out of our sight. And when you're doing that, your church is going to be functioning in order. There's going to be power in the church. People are going to be getting saved in the church. And Christians are going to be growing. And there's going to be a, 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 a liberal use of the Spirit's uh, gifts in that church. So what we need to do, Dale, is go back to the first century church. And if we go back there... God says, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then we just have to stop getting creative. Just follow directions and things are well. So, Dale, I hope that's what you meant. Thank you very much for the question. Um, Andrew says, I have a question about Simon the leper in Mark chapter 14. Why would there be 
people going to his house if he was a leper. Andrew, I love this this uh, um, the story of Simon the leper, um, and and the reason I refer to it often in my teaching simply because Simon the leper proves that people are unwilling to forget our past. Now, obviously, Simon used to be a leper, and that's that's what they're saying. Uh, but his name stuck. Oh yeah, there's Simon the leper. Simon must have thought that meant, hey, I don't have leprosy anymore. Say I'm the ex leper. The but but that's just people don't forget your past. They'll remind you of it. But Simon could then turn that around and say, yeah, I used to be, but look what God has done. So he was a former leper. Clearly he'd been touched and healed in Jesus' ministry. And uh, he had his friends come over. His house was packed. Uh, and um, and he was just basically doing what we do when we get saved. We want everybody to know Jesus, so we invite them over, or we invite ourselves over to their house so that we can introduce them to this Jesus that we just met. So Simon wasn't a leper any longer, but he was a former leper. And remember, people won't let you forget your past. And the good thing about Jesus is that he does. I don't think we have time for another question. You know, in this idea of of, of people not letting you forget your past, think about the culture, the cancellation culture that we have. You know, God's grace forgets your past. Those in the deepest, darkest ocean, uh, social media. They never let you forget your past. You tell me where's a better place to spend some time. So, Andrew, I hope that answers your question. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Have a wonderful evening serving the Lord. God willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. If you run into somebody that doesn't know Jesus, tell them about the one you love. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.